Hey, I got a question for you. Anybody here like food? Man, I do. I mean, don't even get me started. We, we have in our family what we call a significant food focus. That means we get really excited about it. And sometimes we're so excited about food that we don't even wait till we finish the meal that we're in. We're talking about what we got plans for, for the dinner or for the next meal. It's very exciting. Now, some of you have heard the funny stories about how in our family, I can't take credit, my wife and daughter get the credit, we make extremely detailed vacation plans. Excel spreadsheets about where we're gonna go, where we're gonna stop. That, that word has gotten out. What you may or may not know is that usually in every city we are going to, we have a list of three, maybe four restaurants that we wanna check out while we're there on vacation. Because you see, the last thing we wanna do is get to some small town, discover they got a five-star restaurant, but we get there on Monday and it's closed on Monday and then we call on Tuesday and it's full up because they were closed on Monday and now we're leaving town Wednesday morning and we've missed out. So we make a plan. We wanna make sure that we get to go to the good places and enjoy good food. And then we love to tell stories about food and we love to take pictures of food. Y'all know that we kind of have this going on. Matter of fact, I got a few for you. See, we went to New York recently and Cali, we went to this place called Pompano's. And yes, that's just a wide open endorsement, fantastic restaurant in, in New York. And she took this picture of her steak with a chimichurri, black bean and corn mix. Okay, you just, mm. She took this picture, put it up on her Facebook page. It got grabbed by Yelp. It has now been viewed over 25,000 times. It's one of the top pictures on Yelp for this restaurant. It's even better than the ones they have on their professional website. And see, and it's not just this one. No, no, Callie also took a picture of her mom's dinner, the beautiful fish. And of course, dad was having the shrimp. And I can tell you, this was a meal to die for. Pompano's, New York, you go there, downtown, enjoy. Great, great, great place. Love to do it. Now, sometimes we go get something unusual. And, you know, a lot of, uh, I, I'm, I'm what's called a white bread Southern, you know, American by demographics. So when I started eating this next food, throw up that next, called sushi. Oh, no, no, that's the other, it's out of order. I'm sorry. All right. So sometimes it's not the food. I just leave, okay, here we go. Sushi. I'm telling you, this city is loaded with great sushi places. Anybody here a sushi lover, talk to me. We'll go out and enjoy, all right? My, one of my goals in life is to get Clark into a sushi place. If y'all if y'all don't understand Clark's food habits, uh, that'll, that'll inform you. Okay, let's go back to the other one. Now, sometimes it's not the food, but it's the occasion. You recognize this one? T.J. Oshi eating out of the Stanley Cup. Captain Crunch is what he's eating. If you, if you haven't been following that, you're not a Cap. How many Caps fans in the regatta? Claps fan. All right, all right, good. All right, all right, all right. That's it. So sometimes it's the food. Sometimes it's the occasion. Sometimes you know it's it's the setting. It's all this different stuff. Matter of fact, when we we when we go great places and and uh, one of the wait Brazil, Phil, right? Did we not eat well in Brazil? Now you have to love the stories that come out. So it, we're in Brazil. We're at a churrascaria which is a steak place, serves all the steak. But what are the Americans famous for? 
the cheese bread in the corner. We're at this steak restaurant and we're all going, cheese bread, cheese bread. So the manager of the restaurant is bringing out trays to try to satisfy this American longing for pão de queijo, for Brazilian cheese bread. All this steak is floating around, but everybody's saying, cheese bread, cheese bread. Oh, we love, we love good food. Now, don't you judge me, Christian people, because I know. I, I know you all do the very same kind of thing. Matter of fact, I have a question for you right now. Take a moment. What's the best meal you've ever had? What's the best meal you've ever had? I'm going to give you, you know what? You don't need to yell it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you one minute each. I want you to turn to a neighbor, somebody around, not your significant other. So if you're beside your, your, you know, your spouse or your, or your close, close, close friend, talk to somebody else. But I want everybody to find somebody. I want you to tell them. you got one minute. You can talk about, throw up the list of words from them. You can talk about the, uh, the place, the occasion you went for, the location, what the meal was and what made it great. you got one minute. Get over there, Paula. Tell Tom what you thought was great, okay? All right, go ahead. Tell what the best meal or one of the best meals you ever had. Just reach right over there and tell them. In one minute, I'll say it's the other person's turn. For those who are watching online, just tell yourself what a great meal it was. <laughs> Share with somebody at home. Okay, other person's turn. If the other person hasn't had their turn yet, give them a chance to tell you. Okay, come, come to the point. Oh, the best meal, the best dish, location, occasion, whatever it was that made it great and special. You st I can't believe you guys are running out of stuff to say already. I'll give you another 20 seconds. Here we go. I'm watching the clock. See, don't, don't just tell about the main course. Tell about the side dish that made it, the garnish, the presentation. Okay. Everybody hungry now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're, now you're thinking about, hmm, I was going to go home for lunch and eat leftovers, but now I'm going to go. So that's great. Grab somebody on the way out. Take somebody to lunch. Have a great time. And here's all I ask. I want you to go out to lunch and talk over the rest of the message that we're about to talk about today, okay? Now, this, this, this scripture passage that Cynthia read for us just a minute ago, uh, I'm sure that many of you recognize that even in the message version, the message translation, that's the Beatitudes, what we have for so many years referred to as the Beatitudes. It's, it's uh, a part of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, the greatest message perhaps ever preached, uh, the, 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 the record of that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so we were hearing that today from the message translation. We are now into week four of our series, and I thought it would be a good time just to take a quick 
moment and think about what is the overall message, not just the verse for today, but why the Beatitudes, why this group of verses that tells us, uh, and, and, and what is this about? What is the, the purpose of the Beatitudes? About eight major lines of, of poetic prose. And I, I think what's going on here as, as Jesus is teaching, blessed are you when or you're blessed when, and he, he keeps using that as his theme and coming back like every great preacher will do. And I think what he's doing is he's painting a picture. He's painting a picture for us that we can, that we can take with us out of here, something we could talk about over lunch, something we could think about as we move forward through the week. He's painting a picture of what your life can be like of what our lives as Christ followers can be like. You see, it's, he's not painting an image. He's not creating an image for us to celebrate just some external accomplishment, some tangible pursuit perhaps where we saw some tangible results. He is painting a picture that really describes the heart, the soul of a person, of our internal realities, our internal condition, painting a picture of a life that is blessed, a life that we can have when our hearts are fully aligned with the purposes of God. You see, we were created to live in keeping with God's design for us, so when we do that, we find greater happiness, greater blessedness. And so the Beatitudes is like an image that Jesus creates. This is the life that we're talking about, and he's calling us forward into that life. Now, so far, if you've been here the past three weeks, you've had the chance, you've looked at the first three Beatitudes, and what we've seen so far is a heart that is poor in spirit, a heart that mourns, a heart that understands meekness. And Here's the interesting thing that you could catch if you're looking at the whole passage together. Perhaps you have your Bible open, and you would see there these first three verses are really talking about an emptying, creating space, getting self out of the way a bit. You see, sometimes God can't fill us because we're so full of ourselves. So the Beatitudes start with talking about how we get some emptiness going, we create some space. Blessed are they, Jesus is saying, who, who embrace their spiritual poverty, their brokenness, their need to surrender to God. That's what those first three Beatitudes are about. But now, as we come to the fourth verse, our verse for today, Jesus now makes a very natural transition. I said the fourth verse. I should have said the sixth verse. It's actually the fourth Beatitude. He moves from describing a life where we are intentionally emptying out some things, and he moves on to talk about what it is that can really fill us with life. And so that's our focus for today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, the first of our Beatitudes that begins to talk about what we fill our lives with. And here's what he says. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, or to use our version from the message that you heard earlier, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. 
He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. And we're going to leave those verses up for a while. Just let that sit with you for a bit. You see, when Jesus spoke these words, the people who were on that hillside in Galilee, and if you've ever been on a Holy Land trip, they take you right there. It's a very historically uh, secure place. They, they're able to identify it very accurately. And looking down over the Sea of Galilee on that hillside, as Jesus spoke these words about hungering and thirsting, the people who were listening understood those words at an entirely different level level than how you and I understand them today. We know very little of the kind of hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about in order to make his point. He's preaching to people who suffer from food insecurity, as the phrase is today. They did not have supermarkets and abundant and varied food supplies coming from all over the country and all over the world. The people who were listening to him on that day, they knew what it was to be looking at their cupboards and finding their cupboards bare, running out, not much to eat, supplies are short, the season was hard, the rain didn't come, what little bit there was of money or funds ran out. Jesus was speaking to people who did not have any concept of what it was to open a faucet and enjoy clean water in abundance like you did this morning, like I did this morning. Now, these folks, they had to carry their water from a local source to their home. Sometimes it was contaminated. Sometimes it made them sick. These people, when he talks about hungering and thirsting, they knew what it was to know that at a level that made you feel desperate. Which is interesting because the word that Jesus actually uses that we translate as hunger is a word that you could actually very legitimately translate as the word famished. I, I mean, not just a little bit hungry. Blessed are those who are famished, people who are desperately hungry for God's righteousness, for he will make them full. What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness in that way? Well, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at Jesus' life for a little bit of clarity, and let me just remind us all again, whenever you want clarity on something, looking at the life of Jesus is always a great place to go. You look for that example for guidance in your life, you're going to come out way ahead. Now, here we are. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is in this public ministry, which he did not begin, by the way, until he was about 30 years old. We don't know a whole lot about what he did in his life from the time of his birth and his early childhood until this point. We just know that he did what we all do. He grew up. The difference is we know that from Luke 2.52 that he grew up in wisdom and stature and with favor with God and with man. Some of us struggle to do that. But Jesus grew up just like we do. He transitioned from infancy to childhood, through into, into adolescence, and then on into adulthood, all in a small rural town outside of a bustling city. So Jesus worked in his family's trade of carpentry. He studied the Torah like all other good Jewish boys his age in, in the village. 
And then he steps out onto the public stage into his ministry, which began in a way at the Jordan River when he was baptized by John, John the baptizer, and confirmed by the voice of God who announced, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus' moment is finally here. Now, I, I think this is a pretty big moment. I mean, God has said, I'm pleased. I'm at public ministry. Wow, this, something big is about to happen. A lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement, years of preparation perhaps for some, about to finally pay off, looking for the Messiah, hoping for something. And at the moment of beginning his public ministry, what does Jesus do? What is his first act in coming out as the Messiah on his first day on the job to impress people? Well, let me tell you what he didn't do. He did not perform a miracle. You might quickly point out to me, pastor, he didn't preach a sermon. That would be correct. He didn't raise anybody from the dead. According to Matthew, and since we're here in Matthew looking at the Beatitudes, we can turn back one page to chapter 4. And what we discover is Jesus' first act was to go into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he stopped eating. He emptied himself and made himself hungry. Now, really, have you ever wondered why would Jesus choose this approach to start his public ministry? Well, I think he did it in order to make a clear and definitive statement about the central question of all humanity. By going into the wilderness? Yes. Because the most important question any person will ever ask is this, is this question. What is there that can fill my hungry heart? What is there in this world that can fill my hungry heart? Because, you see, Jesus knew about the people of his day. He knows it about us still today. Mankind is so busy trying to fill our hearts with something. But the more stuff we stuff in, the hungrier we get. And so Jesus really creates this wild situation. He says this. Basically, this, these are his words. Instead of filling yourself, all these fillings that leave you hungry, what if I give you a hunger that leaves you filled? Oh, oh wait a minute. I'm, I'm not sure I get that. I mean, that, that's thinking deep, Jesus. Uh, all this stuff I'm trying to fill, fill, fill. And Jesus said, no, 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 what you need is the hungry. You need the hunger. And that will lead to your being. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be filled. You see, as is so often the case with Jesus, the master teacher, he's turning things upside down from the way everybody thinks it should be. 
Stop worrying about filling your hearts to address your hunger and start focusing on the right hunger that you need to have. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Before you can be blessed, before you can be filled, we have to have a hunger. We have to be famished. Now, anybody here ever been famished? I mean, I think, I mean, it's, I, mean I have. I mean, it's okay. If, if you've been, if you ever, you were, I mean, you're really way past your eating time, you were just start really, really hungry, right? Did somebody have to come up and say to you, uh, you're hungry, aren't you? No. You were very aware, were you not? When you're hungry, do you know it? Your tummy rumbles. You feel kind of funky. You know, and the longer that goes, and you know there's no meal for a couple hours yet, and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can, I, can, I mean, this, I got work to do. I got this to do, but I'm, I'm famished. Listen, Jesus is saying that spiritually we need to be in the same way. We need to be fully aware that we got nothing but emptiness. We need to be aware of our emptiness and quit trying to stuff it with stuff that will never satisfy. Jesus understands that we need to be aware of our emptiness so that we can have the right hunger. And without hunger, without the passion for it, we'll have very little interest in righteousness. Now, you got to pay attention here, folks. I, I don't want to lose you in the intellectualism of it. But Jesus is pointing to a fundamental misconception that so many of us have when it comes to the blessing of God. And here it is. We think that our righteousness is the condition that we have to get into in order to receive the blessing of God. I don't know how many times people have said to me, Pastor, I'll, I'll be ready for baptism, but I've got to clean up a few more things in my life. I'm going to join the church, preacher, but i got some other things I need to take care of first. Those are all the lies of Satan, folks. Do not be deceived. You know what Jesus says? You don't become righteous to get the blessing. He says, righteousness is your blessing. Righteousness is is the blessing. Hungry is the condition we need. That's what we need. If we hunger and thirst like we're famished for righteousness, then God will provide it. But here's our problem. We're living in denial. See, we all love to convince ourselves that God doesn't have to reach very far to save us. We're such good folks. You know, I'm not that bad a person. Why does he keep talking about sin? Why do they talk about, oh, why do they use that ugly word, lost? I know exactly where I am. You say that, I'm pretty sure you don't know exactly where you are. Because that's a dangerous place to be right there. Why do they use that word, dead, in our sins? Because that's what you are. You're dead in your sins without Jesus. This, this is the reality. Oh, that's so old school, Pastor. Learn to, learn to talk in the modern century. And we, we think if we can just learn to do right, to do a few more things right, then we're going to achieve some form of righteousness, and God will reward us with a blessing 
for our righteousness, hear me, nothing could be further from the truth. It's heresy. It's unbiblical. Nothing could be more antithetical, that is the opposite of the gospel. Righteousness is the blessing. Hunger is the condition. And Jesus says that that blessing only comes to those who hunger and thirst desperately for it. You know, we got a song that we sing here. It's called The Air I Breathe, or it's called Breathe. And part of it we sing, and I, I'm desperate for you. And, and, and I've heard some people say, you know, I don't understand that. I, you know, I'm not all emotional like that. I, I don't get desperate. That's kind of, I don't know, sure, I don't really like that song. Uh, you know, for me, I, I don't really care whether you like the song or not, my, my, here's my issue. You better have been desperate for God. That's what it takes. That's what Jesus says. Unless you are desperately hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you will not, you will not, you will not receive that blessing. That's what he says. It only comes for those who hunger and thirst. This is your chance today, friend, to understand that only by being desperately hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God will you ever be satisfied. Recognize your emptiness, have the hunger, and let God then satisfy. And satisfy, what a great word that is. The greatest quest in life is this quest for satisfaction. And we live our lives just chasing hard after it. We pursue stuff, pursue stuff, all to satisfy the pangs of our human appetites. Something to quench the dull ache of our unfulfilled cravings. Because you see, human beings are, by nature, hungry creatures. Oh, oh, we look for food in all kinds of places, it might be the food of money or possessions that feeds that part of our soul. It might be a string of relationships that's trying to fill that empty hole in our heart. It might be some other nonstop activity with money, sex, power, fame, approval, any of those things. You see, and remember, this is what Jesus was addressing in the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness to put those appetites in check and to say, those things will not rule over me. He was practicing what he would later preach when he would say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He was saying, beware of our natural appetites that can take control of us, because when they're fed, our unrestrained physical appetites only get bigger and bigger, and they leave us less and less satisfied. You know how we know that? How do we know that? Well, if you've been to Sunday school, you know one of the answers should probably be something like this, because the Bible tells us so. Well, that would be correct. The, the other reason we know so is because of McDonald's. Yes, that's a joke. Thank you. Here's a true story. 1955, McDonald's. The largest Coca-Cola you could drink, that you could buy there, the largest one, seven ounces. That was the biggest one you could buy at McDonald's when it started. In the 50-some years since then, it's now seven times that or six times that. The largest one they offer is like 42 ounces. A recent international marketing campaign that they had 
they were pushing this 42-ounce drink, and they lovingly named it Hugo, H-U-G-O, get it, U-G-O, Hugo, to entice customers, and here's the fact. If you go to McDonald's and grab a Hugo at 42 ounces, here's what you're going to get. Not just 42 ounces of Coke or whatever, you're going to get 400 calories with no nutritional value, and it's just one more picture. I'm not beating down on McDonald's. They're, they're all the same. Unrestrained physical appetites grow larger and larger and satisfy us less and less. Like every other natural appetite God gave us, we have corrupted, abused, misused our appetites. We sin against our bodies, against God and our eating habits. That's why America has an obesity crisis, so many health problems, many of which are rooted in eating too much of the wrong kinds of food. And just, a, you know, here's the reality. We, we as Americans consume vast amounts of cheap, fat-filled, sugary, calorie-laden foods that do not really satisfy our hunger. Matter of fact, shall we get down and dirty in the pulpit today? Are y'all ready to be honest? Now, remember, God's watching. Anybody here ever sat down and ate an entire bag of potato chips? Yeah, you're just going to have one or two with your sandwich, but you're watching the game, right? And next thing you know, that whole eight-ounce bag, I'm just going to give you credit and hope it's just eight ounces. An eight-ounce bag of potato chips, 1,200 calories. Now, that's about half of what's recommended for an adult male an entire day. How many of you can get really satisfied with an eight-ounce bag of potato chips? I mean, I mean, like at half an hour later, you're going, man, I need some chips or something. I, I, I need something. It, despite being full for the moment, we still feel hungry. We're not really satisfied by that. And this is the spiritual picture, right? It's the spiritual picture. We're created, folks. We are created with a longing for God. We are created with a hunger for meaning and for purpose and for hope, but often we try to satisfy that hunger with junk food, spiritual junk food. And so as Americans, we pursue endless pleasure. We seek distraction in all forms of entertainment. We buy things to gain status or to become more attractive, or we worship sex, or we do some other crazy thing, and our lives are full, but our souls are starved. We may have overweight physical exteriors, but far too many of us are spiritually emaciated. We're practically on the edge of starvation from the lack of good spiritual nutrition. Because just as we do with physical food, we pick up bad habits that are related to spiritual food. So here's what happens. We start thinking that religion is the same thing as knowing God. <laughs> it's not even close, but we like to tell ourselves it is. We think that some quasi-emotional spiritual experience is the same thing as a real encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not. We even mistake emotional fulfillment or excitement as being spiritual nutrition. It's empty calories. And let's be honest, let's just talk blunt, okay? Let's talk bluntly. Given the choice 
between a football game or an hour and a half church service, many, many, many people choose the football game. Now, why is that? Well, it's not the price tag because you pay a whole lot more to go to the football game than you do to come to church. Sometimes it's because church is boring. Sometimes it's poorly executed. People are not giving their best to God. But assuming that there's a commitment to creating a quality worship experience, that there's really a desire to worship and honor God, that there's truly an attempt to engage people in the worship of that living God, even when you have all that, many, many people choose the football game over the worship of the living God. Now, I'm not throwing, throwing stones. I'm just asking the question, why is that? And in light of our conversation today about this beatitude, I want to help you understand. And the reason we make that kind of a choice, which leads to spiritual malnutrition, is because it is harder in the moment to appreciate the satisfying of the hunger of one's soul that is found in listening to God that is found in opening one's heart and one's mind to his presence. And in pursuing him, it is harder to appreciate that than it is to get your kicks to be emotionally stimulated by the hype and fun of a game or the distraction of any form of entertainment. Because staying home and binging on Netflix is no better than staying home to watch a football game. So before all the NFL fans get all worked up that I'm dissing football during training camp opening week, I just want you to understand I'm not arguing against football or baseball or soccer or whatever sport or whatever thing. What I'm saying is beware the distraction. They may not be evil in and of themselves. Beware the distraction, and I'll give you this renovation of the words of Jesus. Jesus said something like this, man shall not live by entertainment alone. Man cannot live on distraction alone. Whoop, whoop. Satan says, oh, here's spiritual food. Whoop, that's gone. Over here, something that'll fill your soul. Whoop, that's gone. Junk food. And, and before I just leave this sermon today, because I know our time is up, I want to ask the church family to walk with me one step further, because it's one thing to say, oh, he's speaking to people who need to be in here with us. No, no, no. I'm talking to us, okay? I want you to walk with me one step further and join me in acknowledging that even morality and religiosity will only satisfy our spiritual hunger for a moment. Oh, I I know it can feel good to keep the rules. It can feel good to do right. It, it It can be good, feel good to point to our wonderful service at the church that earns us approval from other people. But even some things that taste good for a moment will not satisfy you for the long term. So here's the kicker. Here's the the sum up of it, folks. At some point, the real hunger for God himself has got to begin to gnaw at us. We have to become famished for God, famished unless we're going to completely harden our hearts against him, if we're going to turn ourselves away from his voice, 
if we're going to reject that there's some deeper meaning to life, if we're going to deny that there's anything that can make an eternal difference, okay. But you know what? I think God wants us to know this hunger where we really want to know Him, to have a mature faith that is nourished by intimacy with the Holy Spirit, a a mature faith where the living Word is active in us so that we're able to draw on the wisdom of the Word when we face difficult choices, when we walk through hard places in life. And so I just want to say to you, brothers and sisters, you who are longing to grow into, to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, there is some good news. Just as we can learn to develop an appreciation for foods with complex textures and taste as we mature, I believe that we will also, over time, as we walk with God, as we walk in a family of faith, as we hold each other accountable, as the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, as we lift up each other, as we comfort, as we pray, as we love one another, then we develop an increasing hunger for God, and we stop filling our lives with junk. And this hunger and thirst for righteousness comes to the fore. And what is this righteousness? Righteousness is always about when something that was not right before is now made right. And some Bible translations use the word justice here, which, which I just would say that that's talking about both our inside and, and our connection with others, right? Justice is how we feel. About it. One guy I heard put it this way, you steal a bicycle, right? You start to feel guilty. That's good. You're on your way to personal righteousness by taking the bike back. The other person who gets their bike back, they're, they're experiencing justice. So they're related. You see, they're related. This, this righteousness, this justice. I'm so glad that our kids went to this youth camp. I'm so glad that they got the experience of seeing it's not always equal in the world. These guys have these resources. These guys have these resources but we live in this world together. How about we do something together about it? Because, you know, I think it was our boss who said, if you can't love the man and woman beside you that you can see, how in the world are you ever going to claim to love God whom you cannot see? Therefore, love one another hunger and thirst for righteousness. So one suggestion for your prayer life this week, instead of asking Jesus every day this week to fill you, fill you, fill you, and and trust me, I understand we want the filling of the Holy Spirit. I, I Don't play a word game with me. That's not what I'm talking about. But I want to say, instead of saying, Jesus, fill, 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 I want you to say this to Jesus. Jesus, could you share with me some of your hunger? A hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that 2,000 years after your sacrifice on the cross, centuries after this Bible was first put together, centuries after it was first translated and eventually into our language, and here we sit today and read it, and know that it speaks as if it were written yesterday. Help us, O God, to deepen our hunger and our thirst for righteousness, to know you, the true 
and living God and to love the world that you've put us in, the brothers and sisters who are ours to make a difference in their lives. Help us to grow in our hunger and thirst this week for righteousness, I pray, in the name of the one who is our righteousness, Jesus, our Lord. And all God's people agreed and said, amen.